Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the March 22, 2022 edition of Ask a Leader. It's 30 days into the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the second day of the confirmation hearings of the Supreme Court of the United States nomination of Katanji Brown-Jackson, 77 days before the California primary election, the bobbing and weaving around complicated and changing COVID-19 protocols, and so much more. It's all a great deal to keep track of. I, I really appreciate your tuning in with me today. For the whole hour, returning to the show are Irvine Watchdog members Brenda Lynn and Richard Green to speak to the city business in advance of Irvine City Council's meeting today. This show will hone in on some persistent erosions in transparency and accountability in how the city council conducts business. The Watchdog will offer means for listeners to turn out to the same day as this broadcast. Orange County Power Authority, if we have a little bit of time remaining, we might get to open that up, but they'll be back here to talk about it later. We'll be right back after a short station break. Thanks for staying tuned, all. Welcome back to the show. My guests for the full hour are Irvine Watchdog Co-Chairs Richard Green and Brenda Lynn, bringing more civic business to put on our extended, overextended radars, I'm going to say. They might be the only entity other than the major landholders, you know who you guys are, who attend every single council meeting, rendering a valiant service for so many Irvine residents. Richard Green is co-chair, as I said, of the Irvine Watchdog, vice chair of the Democrats of Greater Irvine. Richard cut some public appointment teeth as a city commissioner in Long Beach, where he served on the Ethics Commission and as chair of the city's nonprofit affordable housing development company. So he is a good government advocate and is focused on issues of transparency, honesty, and government accountability. Richard was a government liaison and forward planner for the Irvine-based Lust Company, was an executive at Ceridian, and led the National Tax Compliance U.S. Department of Treasury auditing national policy projects, public audit accounting at KPMG in Irvine, Southern California Edison as head of the Employment Tax Division. He comes to us today from his home in Irvine, and joining Richard is my other guest, Brenda Lynn, co-founder of Irvine Watchdog, and uh, we're going to pick up the matter. We're going to keep picking up more matters, but right now it's all about process and policy that's underway. Brenda Lynn is an Irvine native, co-founder of the Irvine Watchdog, as I mentioned, a volunteer-based website promoting transparency, honesty, and accountability from our local government, and her professional life pursuits include paralegal work, She's a, you know, she's got a deposition going around, so we're going to keep her on this hour as long as we possibly can. The paralegal work she does at several different Irvine law firms. She served as an Irvine Community Services Commissioner, Irvine Children and Youth Families Advisory Committee member, driver for Irvine Meals on Wheels program, an organizer of families forward of food drives, and is a board member of the National Women's Political Caucus Orange County. She comes to us today from her her office in Irvine, and Richard, as I said, his office. Welcome back, both of you, Richard Green and Brenda Lynn, to Ask a Leader. Thank you so much for having us, Claudia. It's great to be here. Thanks, Claudia. Looking forward to the discussion. Well, we have so much to cover here. And, folks, this process, this is we've got so much skin in this game, so this is really important. As I said, I know everybody's been watching so many very important developments all over the world, and... It all starts here is when we talked with Brenda Lynn with Akash Maraj last uh, month. So lots on the agenda before the Irvine City Council at this afternoon. It starts at 4, as I mentioned. We'll say it over and over again. We'll let everybody know how they can go look up the blogs for Irvine Watchdog to see the substantive explanations. So today on the agenda are the Sunshine Regulations at the municipal level. So first, I'd like for you to take a look at the Irvine City Council taking up the public comment 
and explain what the convention in Irvine has been up until the last two years. Then we'll talk about the purpose, why public comment forums are so important at city council meetings. Who wants to take that first? Well, I don't, okay, if you don't mind, Richard. Go ahead, oh, oh, no, go ahead, Richard. <laughs> uh, let me just provide a little background and context. So, you know, I mean, I've lived in Irvine about 15 years. I think Brenda was born and raised here, so we're really Irvine boosters. One of the things we're really proud about the city is that we really strive for excellence. Whether you're talking about public safety, Irvine is one of the safest cities in the country. We set the standards really high. When we're talking about planning, Irvine is recognized nationally as one of the best master planned communities in the country. When we're talking about education, our schools are next to none. But for some reason, when it comes to local governance, our current city council wants to lower the bar. Now, that wasn't always the case. In October of 2018, then city manager John Russo proposed something called the Sunshine Ordinance. The Sunshine Ordinance created statutory regulations that required the city to far exceed the minimum standards established by the Brown Act. So instead of three days, posting an agenda item three days before the meeting, required 12 days. And those types of open transparency, inviting public uh, participation, allowing the public and members of city commissions adequate time to review agenda items, allowed members to sort of have discussions with family and friends and organizations and provide informed input to the city council before they made the decision. At that time, that proposal was unanimously approved by the city council. Um, the city clerk wrote an editorial for the Orange County Register praising it. The city manager made public comments praising it. No one opposed it. Then Planning Commissioner Anthony Quo supported the Sunshine Ordinance in uh, October of 2018 because his concern at the time, and I think it's still a valid concern, is that as a city commissioner, and I personally have experience with this, you get sometimes hundreds of pages of technical documents and if you only have the weekend, they're given to you on a Friday for a Tuesday meeting or so, you only have the weekend to review them, you really may not be up to speed. And his concern at the time was that they had to continually continue items for the next meeting so that they could read old uh, agenda items to get up to speed before they voted. And so Irvine, under John Russo, set the example. We wanted to raise the bar. We wanted to be number one like Irvine is in so many different areas, and instituted the Sunshine Ordinance, completely unopposed. So what's changed? The council. No other issues have changed except the members who are on the city, the city council. And this city council has established a pattern in practice of infringing on public participation, of being non-responsive, being almost antagonistic to public comments, um, and preventing public participation in very critical decision-making items. And so in November of last year, uh, Ben Vice Mayor Tammy Kim and Mike Carroll uh, proposed to place on the consent calendar an item that would basically gut the, the Sunshine Ordinance and just eviscerate it. So, Richard, um, so what was uh, the language yes. used? You, you, cut, you gave us the shorthand, but what was the official language in that on the agenda? Uh, I so don't people, have that in front of me, but Claudia. but that's up, but, um, but, but that's important but is effect, how it gets buried in sort of. Yeah, so so the sunshine ordinance requires us to post twelve days in advance. They were going to gut that, I think, to five under the original proposal. But they didn't say gut it. But um, so there must have been language that so it like let's be clear and see. It's a sort of a a way of eroding clarity that people and transparency people understand. Well, what that means. So yeah, you've given us the shorthand, but I just didn't know. Maybe Brandon got to look it up while you're speaking to that because it's well, to, to yes, compare. I do have the, it. So, so the memo from October nineteenth, twenty twenty one, which was from Vice Mayor Tammy Kim and Council Member Mike Carroll. Um, stated that, they, you know, Sunshine Norton and all these revisions were well-intentioned and adopted, have proven unwieldy in practice. And, you know, to reduce the burden on staff and make the city more responsive to emerging issues and maintain a high uh, degree of transparency, they requested that the city council consider the adoption 
of the ordinance rescinding the Sunshine Ordinance, really just getting rid of it. And, you know, I believe due to the public pressure, uh, they didn't anticipate as many residents being upset about this as they did. They didn't even have a discussion. They pulled it off of the agenda of the day as a meeting. So we all showed up. I showed up um, at city council chambers, and they had pulled this item from the agenda. Then it, now, this is the first time it's on today on March 22nd since October 2021? Correct. They okay. had decided to create a subcommittee, and it turns out Mayor Farrah Khan and Councilmember Mike Carroll were the two on this subcommittee. But there, you know, has not been any public discussion of this, public outreach. We haven't heard anything. And all of a sudden, it's placed on the agenda for a change of this ordinance. And it, it, it's just very concerning. Okay, thank you for, uh, for that that context. So people kind of understand it was cloaked in sort of like making it seem like it was more accessible, but it, but it, but it, it dumped it dumped a transparent measure because we can't all stop everything, you know, within twelve hours to review it. And you were saying even the council couldn't review it all. Correct, and you know, at the end of the day, the question needs to be asked. Who does this penalize? It penalizes the public. You know, why wasn't there a citywide survey conducted? When this sub- and the subcommittee, I'd like to go into that a little further. They call it a subcommittee, but subcommittees normally report to standing committees. And I got this information, you know, from one of our great watchdogs, Doug Elliott. You know, there was no standing committee. So was this a true subcommittee? No, it was more of an ad hoc committee. It conducted no public meetings. It sought no public input. And this subcommittee was charged with formulating policy of vital importance and interest to members of the public here in Irvine, yet deliberately chose to shut out the public. And there was no report to the city council of what the subcommittee found, the data they collected, what, where they were headed, and instead it leaves it entirely to our city attorney who wrote the staff report to take the heat for this abominable proposal. So when did the, the city attorney then issue that report it's on this city council agenda let me I can, it wasn't you know, revealed, it wasn't released before the agenda was published correct no okay it's very recent it, it came out with the agenda package is there and a summary go ahead i'm sorry when folks when you get delays uh, from cell phones it makes me sound like a rude <laughs> Oh, and I'm trying to follow up, but but I I'd like to know if there is some kind of a summary from the city attorney's office so we know how he's responding to the the charge that this was a very last minute that was it's an ad hoc, not a standing committee business. Well, uh, well in the executive summary of the memo that's dated March 22nd for the meeting date, there wasn't a date for the actual memo, I believe. It states at its meeting of November 23rd, 2021. City Council appointed a subcommittee consisting of Mayor Kahn and Councilmember Mike Carroll to review and develop recommended updates to the City Council policies and procedures. The first two policies and procedures reviewed by the subcommittee related to agendas and meetings and cover subjects including the order of business, the protocol for oral communications by the City Council and to the City Council, maintenance of decorum, seating arrangements, voting procedures, the process for adding items to city council agendas, and a variety of other topics. Well, I want to get so, at that maintenance of decorum. Is that that's the city council's city attorney saying we're going to be what we're going to regulate how you all comport when you come up to the public comment and other parts of the meeting. Is that is that what that's addressing? That's like we're going to start to rein in people. Yes, yes it is. Uh, that, that is very specific in the proposal. He, what the proposal that's before the council this afternoon is one one element of the proposal is that apparently the city attorney will act as an umpire and determine whether or not, based on the content of your of your speech when you're giving a public comment, you're being impertinent or slandering any member of the city council. Um, and this city attorney has a again a, a pattern in practice of interrupting public speakers intimidating public speakers, bullying them, and then ordering the city clerk to silence them. And that's not his role. City attorneys are advisory. Nobody nobody reports to the city attorney on the dais. And limiting someone's public speech 
based on their content is uh, very uh, dangerous behavior on the part of the city. So there's a very wide open kind of discretion that the city attorney has assumed in conducting public comments. Yes, absolutely. And he's exerted this power more and more in ways I haven't seen. I've been watching city council meetings for the past five years. And, you know, there was always a graciousness to the public commenters. And sometimes, you know, the members of the public can be harsh on the council members, and it's not an easy job to sit there and happen to listen to this. But, but that goes with the territory. Or walk away. They never stopped a member of the public in their tracks while they were speaking the way we're seeing with this in the last year. And, you know, it's been a variety of reasons that are given, some, a multimedia policy, which did not exist. It's actually on this updated ordinance, um, but I've never seen it before. We did submit a public records request asking for the exact language of the multimedia policy because that was what was referred to by our city attorney to stop a public commenter from using, um, I believe, a slide during their public comment. And, you know, it's things like this, it makes it feel like the city council, you know, the members of the public are a nuisance, are, you know, are getting in the way. And it goes against what a representative democracy is all about. There, there isn't a type of graciousness. As soon as your three minutes are up, now they cut you off or you'll get, you know, the phone hangs up if you called in to make your public comment. And I recall numerous times where, you know, public commenters would go over their three minutes and the mayor at the time, um, you know, before Christina Shea or Mayor Don Wagner would graciously let the public commenter know, commenter, your, your three minutes are up, could you please wrap it up? And let them finish what they had to say. And now it's, they stop them in their tracks or as soon as the three minutes are up, they cut them off. It, there's just a lack of graciousness towards the members of the public. And instead of welcoming them and thanking them for being part of the decision-making process in our city, which is really what strengthens our local democracy, they're seeing us as a nuisance. And they're trying to now muzzle us and shut us up. And that is absolutely undemocratic, fundamentally undemocratic. This is a choice that they made, Claudia. As Brenda indicated, they created a subcommittee of two, which operated in a back room, outside of public view, took no public input, and now they're proposing this radical departure from previous practice. And they could have chosen a different path. They could have chosen to try to manage it better by maybe having a town hall and inviting the public in and listening to the public's input on how the public thinks, you know, the council meeting should run and what time the public comments should be and, you know, how to deal with people that do come to the council and might be abusive or inappropriate, those type of things, but they chose not to do that. And, well, there, there's one thing about that subcommittee that at the ad hoc group meeting is, the, or the, the standing committee, not the ad hoc committee, it's not transparent. There, we don't know. We don't know who all was um, preparing for the kind of businesses tra- transacting. We don't know what so what the inputs are. We just see the output, and there is a decision: is this is going to go on another city council agenda? We're going to ratchet down the kind of open discussion of you know city business. So I I want to bring up what that obscuring of who is making, who's setting policy like that b- before it goes on the agenda. And then after obscuring the, the whole corrosive aspect of this opportunity taking to ratchet down the transparency of how the city does its business. It has, I, I'm sure people who are ready to speak, they're not sure what the city attorney is going to do next. It's sort of hanging over them a, a little uh, an edge, uh, a knife's edge, like this, you don't know when you're going to get cut off. So it sort of, it, it throws you off. It's it's not just the bandwidth, but it's just sort of like the whole mood is sort of occupied with that uncertainty of what kind of a hostile sort of maneuvering will be taking place with these, either the point or elected officials at city council meetings. Right. And you know what, another concern is you now that COVID restrictions have been lifted, are they going to get rid of making public comments via Zoom. I know that's something that I don't think they enjoyed. And so if they get rid of that, in addition to the changes that they're making with this ordinance, where they're moving all public commenters during work hours, essentially, then that limits how many members of the public can participate and make a public comment. And Claudia, you mentioned the ratcheting down effect. And, you know, I think it's important to kind of put this in the 
macro perspective of what's been happening in the last year. And from day one, the day this city council was sworn in, they placed an item on the agenda. What was the rush, right? They put an item on the agenda known as the rule of two, restricting what and how items get on the agenda. Then a few months later, they stopped reading e-comments. So what happened was we started seeing an influx of public commenters and a lot of e-comments being submitted. And an e-comment is there's a link. You can type in your comment, submit it, and then they send it to the And who reads the, the e-comments? It's kind of interesting. I, I mean, I know where the Board of Supervisors, who it's the, the council for the Orange County Board of Supervisors. Who reads e-comments? This is also the city attorney or some other member? The city, the clerk the, would read the e-comments. The clerk e reads it. Okay. Yes. So Carl Peterson would, have, would sit there and read through the numerous e-comments. Well, they decided to start bringing those out loud. And, you know, it's important to know the purpose of public comments, general public comments, is to give the members of the public, the residents, a chance to speak and be heard on issues that may not be on the agenda, but that's important for their neighbors to know. And when they stopped reading e-comments, that all of a sudden censored a group of residents that couldn't make it to City Hall, didn't feel safe, or at the time I believe City Hall was closed. And, um, it, and this was, you know, piggybacking off of the rule of two. Then we started seeing censorship of public commenters. You know, people would start speaking, their calls would get cut off. We, you know, we mentioned this, and it's happening in person now as well as via Zoom. Then they moved we had a city we had a city council member that actually shouted down a member of the public, the member of the public who was providing public comments. I don't agree with the content of their speech, but member of the city council shouted that person down. Can you tell us? Can you walk us through what happened? Have them thrown out. Richard, can you tell us what, what that was about? That was about the Veterans Cemetery, uh, which is always a heated, controversial topic. Um, there were individuals in the, in the city well, council wait, chambers. What, Richard, one second. In favor it's, of it's, the artisite and opposed to the artisite, and it got pretty heated. Richard, I'm going to pause for a moment. It's a controversial uh, topic because it is a proxy for the political divide in the city of Irvine. It's a proxy of Absolutely. other interests, other stakes going on throughout. I mean, the whole the whole vision and and how the city council office is is used from, oh, I don't know, from now forward or twenty you could say twenty thirteen forward. But so the the proxy is what makes it such a fraught topic, freighted topic. So back to so there was a member of and and films running. We've got recordings of those kinds of things. But tell so back to the uh, city council member. Well, it was a sort of an escalation of uh, of tension between a member on the dais and the representative of a position on the Veterans Cemetery, correct? Correct. So the individual was providing uh, public comments in support of what's called the Arda site at the Great Park and implied that Council Member Kim, who's a Korean-American, uh, may not be as supportive of American veterans as she should be. Councilman Kim took offense and shouted, I am American, and um, shouted him uh, into silence. And the mayor threatened to have him thrown out of the chamber. Now, I'm opposed to hate speech, and I don't approve of the content of what he said, but hate speech is protected speech in the United States of America. Public speech at a public meeting is a special category of free speech. And, you know, it happened also with the uh, Stop Toxic Asphalt Pollutants Group, where they had numerous public commenters show up to speak because they simply wanted their issue agendized, which it never, it still has not. It been has still not. Street. Wow. It still has not. And Councilmember Mike Carroll, you know, showed dismay and he was irritated and he made a comment against public commenters as, you know, they're a nuisance. And um, I don't remember the exact quote, but this attitude towards the public, you know, the solution is very simple. You're representing us. These are our interests that we want on the agenda. Just place it on the agenda. That's what you're supposed to do. And the reason there are so many upset residents is because they refuse to listen to us. So we have a right to be upset. We have a right to be frustrated. And, you know, you try to be respectful and civil initially, and we're asking politely, but after a while, you get really frustrated and disheartened. I mean, these are the people we placed in office. We elected them to represent us. 
and they can't even put these issues of great public importance, and there are numerous items. We're talking about a list of probably the top issues in Irvine that they refuse to put on the city council agenda, including district elections, you know, possibly expanding the city council, the Great Park Advisory Committee, the asphalt issue that has been ongoing, which I personally, it, it impacts me because my children attend an elementary school near the asphalt plant. And there have been days where they can smell it inside the classroom. And, you know, it, as a mother, it's very difficult to be in a situation when you know our leaders can easily put this on the agenda and give us a voice and, you know, advocate on our behalf instead of being resistant against us. And it, it, there's just so much frustration in the community because these issues, there's an array of issues that they just refuse to address, refuse to give a public hearing to, and really refuse to give a voice to residents on. I just want for listeners who've just joined us to know, my guests are Branda Lynn, she's co-founder and along with Richard Green, co-chair of Irvine Watchdog, the only entity I know of that besides maybe the landowners that uh, have uh, their own stakes, that these are the, this group is the only one that's been, as Branda's talking about, watching each of the meetings for, she's seen the last five years. So we're talking about the... This tone, setting the tone, is setting policy. It's sort of, I'm trying to think of a physics analogy is that it's sort of, you've got new issues coming in and they're sort of editing around. They're not getting moving into the public discussion in city business. I don't know if that's a a way to describe. It's all sort of backing up and it's not getting aired. And as you were saying, it's the conversation is between constituent and council member, as well as the conversation between constituents themselves, us, ourselves. Right. And with everything the city of Irvine is facing, I mean, with all the development and, you know, with with the public health concerns with, you know, the asphalt plant and with district elections trying to bring more representation, how do we do it better? There are such big issues to focus on, and yet there's been considerable amount of time by the city council trying to find ways to silence our residents. And, you know, again, I've mentioned this, but why not do a survey citywide? Why not ask the community what it wants and how it can, you know, get more public participation? Why not hold town halls like we used to have? You know, the the members of the public and residents are really being pushed out in ways that are concerning. And this is a trend that we need to stop. So I'm going to go to where there may be a trend going on that uh, the Voice of OC brought up that in Anaheim, there is a similar kind of change in sort of comment period short. We'll, we'll talk about how the comment periods themselves have been pared down. So we're talking about the interruption of a comment because of what the city attorney has assumed un, sort of constitutional, uh, unchartered kind of responsibility, authority to cut off public comment. But, but talk about the actual time frame as it's being pared down for how much somebody can actually speak, let's say, live at the city council meetings. Go ahead, Richard. Under the current, under the current rules, any member of the public can come to a city council meeting. They can talk on any any issue that they wish, which is called a non-agenda item. Anything. Or they could discuss a specific agenda item multiple times. So sometimes the game that gets played is with city councils is they will put two or three controversial items on the same agenda. And individuals need to come and wait through sometimes a four, five, six-hour meeting in order to get their three minutes to speak. And they do that because they're interested and they want to participate. And what their voice is heard. Under the proposed rule, it would only allow each individual to speak one time on both agenda and non-agenda items for a maximum of three minutes. So you're limiting public comments to 40 to 60 minutes at the most on every uh, city council meeting. So it's very restricted. But what's being proposed reduces the public's access to proposals coming before the city council, and it restricts the public's ability to provide timely and specific input, reducing access and restricting public uh, participation is just undemocratic. 
Well, I want to say what the the public comment, one of the kind of features is if there is a great deal of obfuscation going on, either in the documents prepared for a, a meeting or in in the actual forum, the open public forum, that to get around the obfuscation, the public can speak more directly and clearly without without the code. They can go straight to the crux. I mean, that's that's an important function, isn't it? Yes, and I'll give you one brief example. Um, normally, when a staff report is presented to the city council, it includes a section that says alternatives considered. The staff at the city hall now is providing very few alternatives in their formal staff report. And so, for example, at tonight's meeting, the, the alternatives considered is accept what these two individuals outside of public view have recommended or make some minor modifications to it and approve it that way. And those are the only two options. But the city council always has the option to receive and file. And it's my opinion that this piece of garbage should be received and filed in the nearest trash can. <laughs> Randa, do you have a, do you yes. have any examples of some, uh, that, I mean, that's for today. I mean, but examples of how there was this, very officious speech coming from the council versus somebody calling the, the, the spade the proverbial spade. So just to make it easy for <laughs> listeners. I mean, it happens all the time. You know, the council members each get how much time to speak on, you know, their announcements or any of these items. And, you know, it, they, they use the efficiency argument for these, this ordinance change, right, to make the meetings more efficient. But I, you know, I haven't done this, and I think this would be a great idea to gather data on the average amount of time each council, or the average length of council meetings between this council, this current city council, and the last, and going back in history. You know, we saw recently, just I believe two weeks ago, a council meeting that was about an hour long, and we've had probably the shortest city council meetings that I've seen. They used to go past 10 p.m. Oh, they, they would. No, they'd go, go. They'd go past. I've been to some that went past to up past 1:30 a.m. I mean, not. I yes. don't mistake me, folks. I don't go. I don't put in the time that Irvine Watchdog puts in. But just to put in perspective, these things can go blowing past midnight on a twice a month basis. Right, and if the result of trying to make these if these meetings efficient is to push the public out, I mean that. That's the wrong decision. This government is a democracy, and I keep referring to the representative participatory democracy because that is what makes it strong, and that's what it's all about. And, you know, those council members, I think it's interesting because I wonder if they were members of the public or when they were members of the public, how they felt. You know, I think they forget once they're in power what it's like to plead and beg and ask the council members to do something in the interest of the public, to put your item on the agenda or to advocate for it. And what we're seeing is just a pushing out of the residents um, just in ways we've never seen before. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, trying to bypass the public or placing things on the consent calendar. This item, interestingly, was placed on the Great Park Board meeting agenda for today. The Great Park Board meeting starts at 2 p.m. The council meeting starts at 4 p.m. And they placed this item, this policy ordinance change, on the consent calendar for the Great Park Board meeting. And that goes into another issue, you know, should the Great Park Board meetings be right before the council meetings? I mean, they're really expediting the approval process on Great Park items. They used to be on different days. The Great Park Board meeting and the city council meetings used to be on different days. Right. And that way it gives the members of the public some time to review the decision that was made at the Great Park before it is finalized at the city council. And now it's interesting that this item that won't even be heard until 4 p.m. is placed on a, an agenda, on a 2 p.m. agenda, under consent, without you know giving the public much chance to speak on it at all. So that and means that really, there's a vote on consent. That means that that board will vote on it. Without discussion unless it's pulled from the consent calendar. Okay. So consent items... They get approved all at once. Everything under the consent calendar will get approved at once unless a member of the public or a council member pulls it, removes it from the consent calendar. So then it gets its own separate discussion. So, Brenda, it's a fait accompli before the 4 p.m. meeting. Correct. So how long has that 
those two, the the Orange County Board and the City Council meetings, how long have they, how recently have those schedules been collapsed on one day? As far as my memory goes, they've always been on the same day. I only knew that they were on separate days because I, you know, read through um, agendas from years past, and I've watched meetings from years past. So that's how I came to learn of it. But, you know, it really is a way to expedite the decision-making process in addition to another concern. I mean, this is kind of veering off to the Great Park Board, which we're not here to talk about. The at-large members, you know, they we used to have four at-large board members on the Great Park Board. It wasn't just our five city council members. And now what we have are the same five sitting on our Irvine City Council, sitting on the Great Park Board, which really should be separate. And, you know, I call it a buy one, get one deal. When special interests influence our elections and influence who gets onto our city council, they get the Great Park Board for free. Well, wait a minute. We're getting, we're buying, they're buying one, get three because of the members of, which, of whom serve on the Orange County Power Authority, which folks, we're going to save that for another program because it's it is moving things are the schedule is committing business consumers of energy and residents later on but very but it is happening we're we're committed to a there is a schedule but i want to keep this process the central focus but i just to say though how much each of these board members council members are appearing on different boards and in increasingly opaque conditions so let's go back to that when either the comment window opened during the Orange County, Par- the Great Park Board, 2 p.m., the, the early part of the 2 p.m. started meeting, or the time shrinking where members of the community are able to speak to the council. So as we're saying, it's this ratcheting down. I want I want you to speak, both of you, to... Well, first, there's an incentive problem. It's disincentivizing members of the public to speak at the council. You're you're not you're thinking, oh, I only have this much time. I'm not. What? Why should I even turn out if I can't really speak? Absolutely. And there are ways to amend this ordinance proposal that's coming forth. And again, today is the first reading. I think we should make it clear to the audience listening. This is the city's first reading of this ordinance, so it will come back. They're introducing it, and it's going to be read, and they can make amendments. And, you know, I'd like to bring up some things that, you know, perhaps the council and listeners could consider. If they are going to move public comments to the very beginning of the meeting, which would be during business business hours, Um, so for those who have 9 to 5 jobs, 9 to 530, can't get to City Hall till 6, you lose your opportunity. One thing to do would be to move the city council meeting to a later time, so it starts at a later time. And then, actually, I think it would be a good thing because most people probably don't want to sit through an entire meeting and wait till the very end to make a public comment. You don't know how long the meeting is going to go. No, there's no I mean, way. It happens, it happens all the time. You know, people are asking, what agenda item are they on? Because they're waiting for their turn to speak on the agenda item. So that wouldn't be so bad. Also, if they're going to limit how many agenda items we're going to speak on, which I'm completely against, but if they decide to do that, perhaps let us speak on all the items, but give us more time. So don't limit us to what we can speak on, but if you're going to move it all to the beginning of the meeting, perhaps extend it to five minutes instead of three, so we can cover all the agenda items we like. But the downfall, I feel like, of doing that is you're going to forget what was said regarding each agenda item when you lump them all together in the beginning. I mean, are you really going to remember, you know, the arguments that were made, the points that were made by members of the public when the agenda item comes up, you know, an hour, two hours later? It's not um, a conversation. It's not It's not an interaction, a policy. Correct. Yeah. Another suggestion I have and an idea that I think should be considered is, you know, the supplemental agendas... <laughs> There, it makes it difficult because you, the agenda comes out 12 days before right now, and we see what's on there. We're preparing, you know, trying to inform the public, but we also have to wait for the supplemental agenda to come out. And it really hasn't been used in the way it's supposed to be used. So they'll take items off, but sometimes they'll throw completely new items onto these agenda just days before the council meeting, and, you know, it kind of makes us shift gears. And it, it makes it difficult. It doesn't give us the time, the public, the time to really learn and study these issues. So if they're going to decrease the amount of time that the public gets notified of agendas to seven days, then perhaps get rid of the supplemental agenda so that 
once the agenda comes out, that's it. We can prepare for it. And, you know, in not not only members of the public, but also the council members themselves, right? They need to study the agendas themselves. They need to get their briefings. And so perhaps that's something to consider. And with Zoom comments, you know, are they going to be taken away now that COVID restrictions are loosening? And I mean, I hope not. If we want to cast a wider net and try to get as much public participation as possible, I think we should keep it. But that is a concern. If they get rid of the Zoom comment capability and then move everything to a 4.30 or 4 o'clock public comment window, that's really going to limit who can participate and the number of um, members of the public who will participate. So those are just some ideas I've had since this you know, agenda item has come up and what are ways that we can improve this and help city staff along with the residents and really find a compromise? Um, I don't know the answer, but those are just some ideas I had while going through this item. So that's why the idea of a town hall instead of a subcommittee would have been the better choice for the council to make because some of the suggestions Branda just provided, other members of the public might have similar uh, proposals um, that the council might be in agreement to but we never had the opportunity to provide input. So I want to talk about the, there's, you were saying voices of the public being gagged to, a, you know, increasing extent. Let's talk about the voices of council members with different priorities. Can you give us some examples of where the rule of two that me- requires two council members to approve adding an item to the city council meeting agenda, where that debate, where that discussion has been restricted and an entire agenda item has not been heard. And what? And we'll get later to ones that you anticipate aren't going to be heard in the future. Well, you brought up the OCPA, and I think that's the next pressing issue. You know, Councilmember Larry Agran has asked for a comprehensive presentation on the Orange County Power Authority. The city of Irvine is alone funding the startup costs and everything up until now. The city of Irvine has been funding this, the operations of the Orange County Power Authority. And valid questions, very important questions have gone unanswered. There has been no robust, comprehensive discussion. They won't place it on the agenda. And actually, um, I believe in this earlier this month, Councilmember Agran requested an audit of the Orange County Power Authority because there are concerns um, regarding the spending. I, I think, you know, all the residents in the city of Irvine, along with the other participating cities, are going to be hit in October when they launch. But it's important to make sure that this agency is operating in a manner that is transparent and fiscally responsible. And, you know, there have been legitimate concerns over the appointment of the CEO. Um, Public records requests continue to be, you know, delayed and responsive documents not sent. Um, Just the basic operations of any agency or organization, you know, they're just not maintained at the standard levels. Um, So I think that is an issue. It was requested for a presentation even back in 2021, I believe, by Councilmember Larry Agron, I think around October or September, asking, you know, what happens if this fails? What is it going to look like? What's our plan? And he had legitimate questions at a recent council meeting where instead of answering the question, I recall Councilmember Mike Carroll just being very rude in his response and almost attacking Councilmember Agron, which I just didn't understand these are questions that we should all be asking, and we deserve answers too. Before we start up this agency, we need to know: is it feasible? Is it viable? Are we safe? What happens if you know you don't get enough people joining the OCP? What if more people opt out than you had anticipated? What does that look like? What does it mean for the city of Irvine and its residents? Should this power authority fail? And they will not give us answers, and they won't even place us on the agenda. I could name a list of items. If you give us a few more, just a few more. I mean, that's um, a big one, and that's a whole uh, show coming up, you know, before the primary comes. But so other examples. Elections. We haven't received any updates. Um, The city was sued by Attorney Shankman, who has sued numerous cities in Orange County, as well as other cities in other counties in the state. I know Mission Viejo recently switched to district elections due to the Shankman letter. 
the city of Tustin also switched to district elections. And our city has decided to litigate and fight it instead of, you know, looking into what we can do. And, you know, just to place it on the agenda doesn't mean we're going to move forward with it. It just opens up the discussion in a public manner so that you can get ideas from the public, let the public weigh in on where they stand. You know, do they want districts or is it better to add more seats to the city council and expand the size of the city council? All these things can be discussed by placing this item on the agenda, and yet the city council has refused to do so, which really, given the fact that our city is over 310,000 residents now and growing, you know, and having only five council members, it's just not enough. The number of committees that each of the council members has to sit on and represent, you know, we don't really hear too much about this, but they have a lot of responsibilities outside of just the city council, um, the Great Park Board, there are, new, you know, there's the Irvine Community Land Trust, there's the Orange County Fire Authority, there's the toll roads, there's the vector control. There are numerous committees that are spread out and that these council members are responsible to attend and kind of represent the city of Irvine for. So it makes more sense, the city of our size, to not only expand, but at least have a discussion about where, how we can increase representation and how we can increase just the voice of the residents, given the fact that our city is so large. Another issue is the asphalt, all-American asphalt litigation. They refused to place this item on the agenda for a public discussion. You know, these are, in my opinion, perhaps the greatest issues facing our city right now. And yet all of these issues have been denied a public hearing. And what's interesting is recently, um, Mayor Farrah Khan, there was an event this past weekend and she stated, you know, that she's tried to second just about every council member's memo as much as she could. And, you know, but sometimes there are discussions that take place behind the scenes. There should not be discussions behind the scenes without involving the public. These are issues that are of great importance to the residents of the city. And the residents of the city have asked time and time again via petition, emails, public comments, asking, pleading our representatives to place these items and give us an opportunity to weigh in. And they, we've been denied that for the past year. The, starting off the year in 2021, I recall Councilmember Larry Agron wanting to place the Veterans Memorial Park and Cemetery on the agenda. I mean, everyone knows that is his number one issue that he wants to get on. And, you know, there is some speculation that perhaps the agenda setting policy, the rule of two was put in place to prevent him from placing this on the agenda. But that, I mean, over a year of requesting and they refused to place that on the agenda. Whether you're for it or against it, it's important to give the public a chance to weigh in. And it's also important for the public to get to see where each of our representatives and each of our council members stand on the issue. You know, that helps us in terms of when the election comes and it's their time to run again. You know, is that somebody we want to support? And it's important to get that on record. But Again, we've been denied a public hearing. And the last one I'll, I'll mention is the Great Park Community Advisory Committee. This is something that several of the current council members stated during the election that they supported. And, you know, again, Irvine Watchdog, we're all for representation. We want more representation. We're all about transparency in the decision-making process. And they deserve to have an advisory committee, given the fact that the four at-large members are no longer sitting on the board. The least they can do is place people on this, the residents of the Great Park on an advisory committee so that they can stay up to date on the developments and then report back to their residents and to their um, neighbors and community members. So I want to wrap up this in the next two minutes, if I can. It's um, a, a real press here to conclude with I'm seeing a very impervious quality to how business is being conducted. The manner, I mean, I, I saw the the archive of the meeting you're talking about that was held on Sunday, and there's an impervious quality. There were good questions about asked uh, Mayor Khan what her priorities are and, you know, what would she like to do in, in the next term that she might be serving. So I, it seems like there's this impervious quality is sort of keeping everybody from doing business with the city, and the city is going to, it's a shell. It's become a shell kind of instrument and business is being conducted elsewhere. Campaigns are being financed by other people. But, that, I mean, that, that's a sustaining sort of a resource for these 
people to be running their campaigns. But with a, just a sh- short answer from both of you about, is this impervious nature something you're picking up on and that we're, it's really, it's become a shell of a council? Just yes, very briefly. And, and it, it really saddens me as a long-term resident of Irvine that a city that prides itself on being the best in so many categories is willing to accept uh, a city council that, that is operating below average when it comes to issues of transparency, accountability, honesty, soliciting public input, listening to the public, respecting the public's voice, those type of things. So it's really frustrating. This city council prioritizes efficiency over the democratic process, and that's an American. And quickly, Brenda, because <laughs> I have I wanted to... to- Yes, I'll quote Melissa Mosry, who's one of the watchdog volunteers and has written an article regarding the rule of two. And in it, she said, any regression from the democratic process should be avoided. And I agree wholeheartedly. Well, I thank you for all of that. Folks, you can go to the Irvine City Council website to find to look at the agenda for today. You can go to IrvineWatchdog.org to look at the blogs that are posted to cover analysis of what's going on with the city council and as well as some of the public-private partnerships that are going, the joint power screen. So I want to thank both of you for giving us the two-foot and 20,000-foot view of what's going, not going on with our city council. Thank you so much, Brenda and Richard, for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having us. You render such a tremendous service to all the constituents, so I thank you so much for that. My guests were Branda Lynn, co-founder of Irvine Watchdog, and Richard Green. He's co-chair of the Watchdog, too, so thank you so much. Well, that's my wrap, and for next week's show, we're going to resume the California primary coverage with Orange County District Attorney candidate Pete Harden. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. And folks, keep verifying your new sources.